So now today we continue our series on Align, Joining Jesus in All of Life. And last week we talked about speaking the gospel to ourselves, finding the hero in your own story. And now today we're going to talk about speaking the gospel to others. That as we learn to speak the gospel to ourselves, it should overflow into other people's lives. Last week, if you were here, I gave you a little booklet and also showed a video called The Story. And it breaks down the big story of the Bible into four movements. Creation, the fall, the rescue, and restoration. And so we need to learn how to speak this story to ourselves, and we need to learn how to speak this story to others. We need to learn how to speak that God has created all of what we see and know. No. He spoke the world into existence. And the pinnacle of all his creation is you and I. That we are created in his image. Male and female, all ethnicities, all cultures, bearing the image of God. But then something happened. Adam and Eve made a decision. In all of the yeses, there was one no that God said, and they chose the one no and rebelled against God. And all creation, all of humanity fell. Sin, death, destruction, pain, suffering, chaos broke out in the world in what we call the fall. And all of us in all of history have been affected by the fall. But God did not abandon the earth. He did not abandon people and say, I'm done with you. You rebelled against me. No, he sent himself, Jesus, God in flesh, as a rescuer to come and restore that relationship, to rebuild what was broken, and to rescue a broken people from a Christless Christless eternity. But not only that, he said, when you believe in me, When you become a follower of Jesus, he gives you eternal life then. That he brings you back to life. But also gives you the promise of life forever. That one day everything that has broken will be restored. There will be no more death, no more pain, no more sickness, no more shame. God will make it all new. And in our own stories, we have to learn how to speak the gospel to ourselves the creation, fall, the rescue, and restoration. But also we need to learn how to speak this to other people. Because as we learn to speak it to ourselves, it should naturally overflow. So one of my favorite verses in the Bible, I actually had it engraved on a big boulder outside a youth ministry that I ran for about uh, 10 or 12 years, is Philemon 1.6. And in this verse, it states, I pray that you may be active in sharing your faith, that you may have a full understanding of every good thing that we have in Christ. And in this verse, I see a few things. I see that Paul is praying and asking, and I look at it as a whole, that we need to be active in sharing our faith, both in word and deed. And as we share our faith, something happens. It says that we will come to a fuller understanding of every good thing that we have in Christ. So I ask you, are you sharing your faith? Are you sharing your faith? And it starts first with people who believe like you believe. If you're not comfortable sharing your faith with another follower of Jesus, you're definitely not going to be comfortable sharing with somebody who doesn't believe the same way as you. 
So think about it. When you gather here on a Sunday morning, do you have conversations about Jesus? If you attend a small group, are you free to talk about Jesus and what he has done for you? Or is that kind of off limits? Because if you're not going to talk about him with people that believe pretty much the same thing as you, do you really think when you encounter somebody who doesn't believe that you're naturally going to just go, oh yeah, I'll have this conversation about Jesus? Probably not. I can tell you what keeps my faith real is not studying in my office. I encounter God there. I prepare messages there. But what keeps my faith real is when I put it into action. When I live out that faith beyond the walls of a building, beyond the walls of my home. That I live out what I say I believe. That I don't simply say, hey, I read something, but then it doesn't translate into my everyday life. Unfortunately, statistics tell us that the overwhelming majority of Christians will will barely, if ever, share their faith with another person. Now, about six weeks ago, we had an assessment done of the church. Bill Hoyt came in. Maybe you filled out one of those long surveys online. Thank you for doing that if you did that. Maybe you attended a focus group. Thank you for doing that. And then he came back with all this data. And so here's a little bit of data from the church survey. And this is on an area of evangelism, outreach, and mission. And so if you look down to question four, I often share my faith story with non-Christian people. A little over 50 of you filled out surveys uh, in preparation for this. And what this data tells me is some of you are sharing your faith with non-Christians. A good amount of you. And thank you for doing that. I believe every healthy follower of Jesus is going to share their faith with people who don't yet know Christ. But also this tells me that there is over half of us who filled out the survey here that say, you know, this is a rare to never occasion. That there's something going on that I am not sharing my faith with other people. Now, the next question states, I often, about every month or two on average, invite people to attend our church. Some of you are inviters, and you're inviting, and thank you for that. And I see who's doing that because the friends will put their name at the bottom and say, this person invited me to church when we get a Connect card. But many of you, over half, are saying, I rarely to ever invite people to be a part of what God is doing here. Now, I don't know exactly why, but I can see from the data that there's many of us struggling or maybe just apathetic to having conversations about God or inviting people to be a part of what God is doing here. And I don't know the reasons, but what I can tell you is, according to Philemon 1.6, when you become active in sharing your faith, you're going to become more fully, to a more full understanding of every good thing that we have in Christ. And the more you share your faith, the more normal it will become. If you think about an apprenticeship, what is an apprenticeship? An apprenticeship usually happens, or an internship, happens when somebody has had a certain amount of information, and now they're told to go and practice this information. For example, a nurse will go to school, but then that nurse will have clinicals. And those clinicals are to train that nurse before they become a nurse to actually know what to do in practical everyday situations. 
or doctors. They go through medical school and then have about three years, one year of an internship and two years of a residency before they can actually be qualified to practice medicine. Wouldn't that be a rough medical field if all they did was book work with nurses and doctors? And they never had any on-the-job training before they started practicing medicine. If you don't like our healthcare system right now, imagine how it would look if that was happening. But there's other fields too that you do the book work and then you practically apply it and learn in community with others who know how to do these things. You think about like plumbers, electricians, carpenters, many other people have those type of internships or apprenticeships. I had an apprenticeship as a carpenter with my brother for about a year. He didn't call it an apprenticeship, but I think it really was. It just wasn't defined in that way. So my brother got me a job as a carpenter. First day on the job, here was my training. He handed me a nail gun with about three and a half inch nails in it, hooked up to a compressor and said, here's two boards, nail it together. And he demonstrated by pushing it down, pulling the trigger. I'm like, okay, that seems easy enough. He showed me what I needed to nail together and he walked away. That was my training. First day on the job. I proceed to grab the nail gun and the boards to nail them together, and I double shoot a nail, and one of them embeds itself in my finger. Ten minutes, first day on the job. And so I go walk over to my brother, and I go, um, is this normal? Like, does this happen all the time? I don't know. It's my first day on the job. Maybe carpenters shoot themselves every day with nails. I don't know. And he looks at me, and he's like, oh my, um you want me to pull it out? I'm like, I don't know. It's the first day on the job. I don't know. And I'm like, sure, go ahead and pull it out. And he tries to pull it out, but it wouldn't come out because it was embedded in my bone. Um, so yeah, but he, uh, so we took a little trip over to the ER. They pulled it out. I was good to go. But quickly, I think they learned that they had to give me a little bit more training. I need a little bit more training before I was going to start doing some rough carpentry. And oftentimes, I don't think we're on that side with sharing our faith. Usually we're on the side of we've had so much training. We've listened to so many messages. And we put up these screens and we go, I don't know what to say. I don't know what to do. Give me another class. Give me some more training. And every possible thing to resist actually opening our mouth to share about Jesus. And you're not going to get shot in the hand with a nail when you walk out. You're not going to say something wrong, but at some point you have to step out and say, I am going to actually open my mouth and share about Jesus with another human being. And guess what? We have an internship, we have an apprenticeship every single week because you're sitting around people right now who believe pretty similar to what you probably believe. And so you can turn to the person next to you and say, let's talk about Jesus. What is Jesus doing in your life? And I believe as you have conversations with those who believe the same way as you or close to the same way, that should naturally spill over into other people's lives. So how do we begin doing this? Well, there's many examples inside of Scripture, but I want to take a look at one person's life named Philip. There's two different Philips in Scripture. One is one of the 12 disciples of Jesus, Philip, Uh, So he's called Philip the Apostle. And then there's another one called Philip the Evangelist, who we find in the book of Acts. We're going to take a look at uh, Philip the Evangelist. 
The first time we see Philip in Scripture is in Acts chapter 6. The apostles are in the midst of a growing church, and as the church is growing, they need to provide care for widows. And so instead of the apostles doing this, they say, let's appoint seven people to take care of these widows. And we read in Acts 6.3, the apostles select seven men who are well-respected and are full of the Spirit and wisdom. We will give them this responsibility— So this is talking about appointing them to take care of widows. Philip is one of the seven, along with Stephen, who was the first martyr of the church. Philip is one of the seven that was appointed to take care of widows. So he must have been a man who was well-respected, a man filled with the Spirit of God, a man with wisdom, because that was the qualifications. Now, not long after this, persecution breaks out in the church in Jerusalem. And I think it was God saying, you're hanging out here and I told you to go. And so he sends them out because of persecution. And Philip leaves Jerusalem and goes to a place called Samaria. In Samaria, Philip's no longer taking care of widows. He's preaching the gospel, he's seeing people healed, and he's baptizing people. So Philip is a man on a mission. And God is at work in his life. And here's where we come to the story of Philip and the Ethiopian eunuch in Acts 8, verse 26. As for Philip, an angel of the Lord said to him, go south down the desert road that runs from Jerusalem to Gaza. So he started out and he met the treasure of Ethiopia, a eunuch of great authority under the Candake, the queen of Ethiopia. The eunuch had gone to Jerusalem to worship and he was now returning seated in his carriage. He was reading aloud from the book of the prophet Isaiah. The Holy Spirit said to Philip, go over and walk along beside the carriage. So the first thing I see here about sharing your faith with others is that Philip was responsive to the Spirit of God. God was speaking to him, and he simply said, okay, I'll listen to what God is saying. When is the last time you heard God telling you to do something? Oftentimes we think in negative tones and go like, well, God is telling me not to do these bad things. But truly, God is telling us to do things. When was the last time you heard God tell you to step out in faith and share your faith with somebody else? Because that's exactly what happened to Philip, and he responded to God's spirit. Also, I believe that many of us have fallen into this trap that we believe that God wants us to be comfortable. That the goal of following Jesus is comfort. And that God would never put us in some uncomfortable position. Really? God calls us to step outside our comfort zone and do things that we aren't always comfortable doing. And he's calling us to maybe open our mouth and share him with other people. Maybe that's something you've never done. But I can guarantee that if you begin to pray prayers and say, God, I want to be available to your spirit. And when you tell me to do something, I am going to do it. I'm going to respond, and I'm going to see what you do. I believe you'll see God do some incredible things. So Philip arrives at the side of this carriage. He's walking alongside. He finds there's this treasure under the queen of Ethiopia who's reading from the prophet Isaiah. And so we read, Philip ran over and heard the man reading from the prophet Isaiah. Philip asked, do you understand what you are reading? The man replied, how can I, unless someone instructs me? And he urged Philip to come up into the carriage and sit with him. 
The passage of scripture he had been reading was this. He was led like a sheep to the slaughter, and as a lamb is silent before the shears, he did not open his mouth. He was humiliated and received no justice. Who can speak of his descendants? For his life was taken from the earth. Clearly, God is at work before Philip arrived. God did not show up with Philip. This Ethiopian eunuch was already having God at work in his life. So the second point is simply ask questions and respond to invitations. All Philip said was, do you understand what you're reading? That's all he said. And the Ethiopian eunuch was like, I have no clue. Why don't you come on up in the carriage with me and explain it to me? We need to be people who learn how to ask good questions. And when somebody invites us, that we respond to that invitation. Maybe somebody has already put out invitations to you that you haven't responded to. Maybe somebody's saying, hey, come out with me and do this thing, as long as it's not bad. But to go and participate and see how God could potentially use those conversations for his kingdom and purposes. When we continue to read in verse 34, the eunuch asked Philip, tell me, was the prophet talking about himself or someone else? So beginning with the same scripture, Philip told him the good news about Jesus. Here's the third point. Align yourself with what Jesus is already doing. The eunuch was sitting there asking, who is this scripture about? God was at work in his life, and Philip simply said, let me explain to you more of what the scripture means. And he started with that scripture and explained about Jesus. I can almost see Philip going like this. You know, this passage right here in Isaiah is talking about one who's going to come and rescue the world named Jesus. But let's back up and talk about creation. Now, man was created in the image of God, but he'd made a decision and he fell and the world fell apart. And ultimately, God had to send a rescuer and his name was Jesus. And Jesus came to rescue us from the sin and brokenness with God. And ultimately, he's going to restore everything back the way it was meant to be one day. That is a simple sharing of the gospel in 30 seconds. But imagine Philip sitting there and explaining this to this Ethiopian eunuch. And something happened in that chariot. We don't know how long the ride was. We don't know everything that Philip shared. But in verse 36, we read this. As they rode along, they came to some water. And the eunuch said, look, there's some water. Why can't I be baptized? He ordered the carriage to stop, and they went down into the water, and Philip baptized him. Here's another point. Make the most of every opportunity. Make the most of every opportunity. Philip is sitting here literally going down a road, invited into a chariot, shares the gospel, and the eunuch says, there's some water. What's stopping me from getting baptized? Imagine being in a situation like that. We read it in the Bible and we think it could never happen to us. I don't know, like, I'd have to look at the specific polity about baptism within our organization. But imagine sitting around your kitchen table with somebody you invited over from din- for dinner. They start asking questions about Jesus. You start giving answers. Along the way, they basically come to an understanding of who Jesus is, receive him for themselves, 
and you've explained about baptism and they say to you, you have a bathtub. What's stopping me from getting baptized right now? Or imagine walking along the Potomac River with one of your friends who doesn't know Christ and you end up sharing with Christ with them and they come to know Christ and they go, well, there's a river. What's stopping me from being baptized? Why do we think these things only happen in Scripture? Maybe you're sitting here today and God is saying to you, there's a full baptismal there. And you've been pushing off being baptized for a long time. What, what's the reason? Why can't I be baptized today? There's always excuses why not. But here's this eunuch who just said, man, I've received Christ and there's water. Baptize me, Philip. And he was baptized right away. And Philip made the most of that opportunity. And he just followed along. Some would say wait and see, but he just said let's jump on in and do it. The story finishes in verses 39 to 40. When they came up out of the water, I don't know if it says the Spirit of the Lord snatched Philip away. I don't know if he even got to dry land. But Philip was gone. And the eunuch never saw him again. Some of us who like systems and programs find that hard. Well, what about who discipled the eunuch? Who took care of him? God did. God is at work here. We don't need a structure for every single thing. If God is working in supernatural, exponential ways, let him work and participate with what he's doing. So Philip's gone. The eunuch never saw him again, but went on his way rejoicing. Meanwhile, Philip found himself, because he got lost for a moment, Philip found himself farther north at Azutus. He preached the good news there and in every town along the way until he came to Caesarea. Maybe God will snatch you up in a way and on to the next thing. Or maybe he'll simply be responding to God's voice in simple ways along the way here. But what I do see with Philip, Philip didn't say, well, I've baptized one and I'm done. He said, no, I'm going to continue to go and preach the gospel along the way and see what God is going to do. He just kept going and going and going. My hope today is this. My hope today is that you would be active in sharing your faith. That you would, if you are not already, learn to share your faith with others who already believe the same way you believe. Learn to express the gospel to other people. Maybe it's not the whole gospel. Maybe it's just a bit of creation, a bit of the fall, a bit of the rescue, a bit of the restoration. But God has made this story clear and simple. And all of us, probably if you are a follower of Christ and been in the church more than three months, you know the basics of the gospel. And he calls us to be active in sharing our faith in word and deed. That as we do this, we come to a fuller understanding of every good thing we have in Christ. And when people believe we get the privilege of celebrating in baptism with them. And so today we have the privilege of celebrating four people's baptisms this morning. Yep, some kiddos are going to come in to watch because we get to model what we want our kids to do. So what we're going to do after the kids get in here, we're going to show a short video 
of Naomi and Hannah, and then we're going to actually have two live testimonies. And then after that, we are going to baptize four people this morning. So let them just get on in here, and then we can show the video.